Good morning, live stream. Good morning, Boomerang Church. How are you in this fine winter morning? It's like going to be 70 degrees today. Yes. So the Southerners are happy and us Northerners are not. And then there's those that are in between. Uh, yep. First thing we're going to do this morning, we're going to open in prayer so we can all bow our heads. We thank you, Father, for this time and coming together in your presence. We thank you, Father, for your physical manifestation of Jesus who came here, who died and rose again, who was sent here to bring us to you. We love you and we thank you for it. We give you this time. We sow it a seed. We ask that you please anoint our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about miracles this morning and how they glorify God. So the first thing I'm going to ask is, how do miracles glorify God? How do they do that? Open forum, anybody. Because they're supernatural. Yes. Anybody else? Exactly. Yeah, when, we, when they happen, we give praises to the Father. Anybody else? That's right, we sure can't do it in our own power. Exactly. They uh, go against what in the natural realm is considered impossible. So we've talked about walking in the power of God in other services and ministering to other people through the gifts that he gives us. I'd like to share some things about how this really glorifies God and how he expects us to use his supernatural ability. There are so many scriptures on this, but we're only going to touch on a few. In Matthew 9, there's an instance where Jesus healed a paralytic man. And we'll deal with that in more detail in Mark 2. But I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. <clears throat> and it's Mark, or I'm sorry, it's Matthew 9, 1 to 7. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic man lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemies. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up. Pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. So Jesus not only used this as a teaching tool um, when he healed the man, but he also set him free um, from his sins and not only from, uh, obviously, the healing that took place there. So you could argue that there were two sets of things that he did right there. The first, he took care of the spiritual. And then he said, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. I'm sorry, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, get up and walk. So I think the important lesson here is the fact that not only are things manifested in the natural realm, but things are also manifested in the spiritual realm. And that will apply later in the lesson, and we'll get to that. So the next part. When you start sharing with other people, 
there's a natural tendency for them to doubt and begin to question. Well, how do I know what you're saying is true? I once heard T.L. Osborne, I'm a famous evangelist who led hundreds of thousands of feet to the Lord, discuss his experience when he was first on the foreign mission field. He tried to witness to people, and they just didn't believe what he said. Finally, one day he was talking to a man saying, what the Bible says, and the man said, what makes your black book any different than any other black book? And T.L. Osborne thought, how do these people know the Bible is true? I have faith that the Bible is the word of God, but how do I convince them? And for the remainder of lesson, I'm going to say I in here, but it's, it's Andrew Womack, not me. I've never met T.L. Osborne. He left the mission field, otherwise I'd be really old. He left the mission field, defeated and discouraged, came home and began to seek God. The Lord told him that he had to use his supernatural ability. Signs and wonders are for the purpose of validating the word of God, which is what will change people's lives. In 1 Peter 1.23, It says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. How does it? What does this mean? I just want to take a minute here and think about that. What exactly does this mean, the imperishable? It means it's never ending. Exactly, it doesn't change. It stays the same forever and ever. What else is like that? Who else is like that? It's God. God's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's been there since ever, and he's going to be there forever. How do we get them to believe that it really is God speaking? Well, in one way, it's the purpose of miracles, and that's what we're going to talk about today. When we preach and say that it's God's will for a person to be healed, we demonstrate it by speaking over them in the name of Jesus. Their blind eyes or deaf ears are opened. Validate that it is God. Miracles will cause people to believe that the word you've spoken is the word of God. And I would say that Andrew Womack says the blind eyes or deaf ears are opened. Validate that it is God. But you can also expand on that. Because remember in God's word, which is infallible, says, remember, signs and wonders will follow. So it's not only biblical that it has happened, that it's going to happen. And I would also say that the, you've been born again not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. So you've been born again not of seed. What else does that tie into? It ties into 2 Corinthians 5.17, which talks about um, how we're a new creature, a new creation or creature in Christ. So not only is the old man gone, the new man, which is your born-again spirit, has been born of uh, imperishable substance. Okay, what is that? That's God. That's, that's the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. That, that's who's in us. So when we go and lay hands on people, it's, it's not us. It's Him. You know, it's, it's His anointing that's throwing through us, and we're used as a vessel. A scriptural example is Mark 2, 1 through 9, where this is further detail on the paralytic who was healed. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. 
and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? The truth is, both of these things are technically impossible. What two things? Forgiveness of sins and telling a dude that's sitting there in his bed to get up, pick up your bed that you've been laying on, and get out of here. The truth is that both of these things are technically impossible. It's impossible for a man to forgive sins. It's also impossible for a man to heal another person of paralysis. So if God could do one, he could certainly do the other. And Scripture is loaded with examples of him forgiving sins. He even forgave those that crucified him. How much more are we supposed to forgive those people that cut us off in traffic, say unkind words, or bother us, or at work say things that aren't supposed to be said? Those are minute compared to what Jesus himself had to forgive right there as it was happening. Because if he let it go, because if he let it fester inside him, then he wasn't God. Because God does not hold the person accountable for that against him. Because if he did, Jesus wouldn't have come because we wouldn't be able to go to heaven and be reconciled with him. We would not be back in a relationship with the Father. Jesus said in verses 10 and 12, you can go back there, Abby, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Open form question again. Why do you think he told them to go home and not sit there and stay under the word that's being taught? Okay. Mm -hmm. There was the first two answers were, hey, it's because somebody might speak doubt into him while he was there. And the second one was, hey, because he's going to go confess what just happened. Anyone else? Scripture also talks a lot about when somebody is healed, how they go out there. Look at the lepers. As soon as they were healed, bam, they were out the door. One guy came back and said, you know what, thank you. Um, 
Andrew Womack says, he produced the healing so people would know that if he could do things in the physical realm, if they could see happen at his word, then spiritual things such as forgiveness of sins could also take place. Jesus used miracles to validate his word. He used them both hand in hand. He used one to complement the other. Just like in communion, when we sit there and we take communion, and it's very much a, let me do, do this in remembrance of him, is what Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. But it's also, some people would say that communion is a, is a way to reset or to say, you know what, this is where I'm starting from. This is a point for my faith um, that says, I am not going to do whatever it was that I need forgiveness for. Things like that. Um, Jesus used miracles in the same way, so that way you can use that as a faith. For, for instance, there are many people that are not in the Word that have had instances where they've been healed. Whether it's being sick, whether it's a new limb growing out, whether it's a new eyeball in a socket. Um, and some of the earlier meetings, not only were, uh, and there are other bigger ministries that have had those <laughs> cases documented, just as Reinhard Bonnke has had documented cases of how many people have been saved. It's the same. They all go hand in hand. So Jesus used miracles to validate his word. The exact same thing is said in Hebrews 2, 2 and 3. For if the word spoken through angels provided unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was, at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. It says that God confirmed his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Put this together with Mark 16.20. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. So it's showing that miracles were used as well to bring the people to salvation. The point I'm making is that God wants you to use his supernatural ability and power to minister to other people. He uses the miracles that take place through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to confirm to people that he is actually speaking to them. Ultimately, he wants people to be set free in their hearts. But sometimes the way to a person's heart is through their bodies and emotions. If you can deal with those areas and see a person set free, then they will open up and allow the Lord to touch the rest of their lives and literally commit their entire being to him. When I was in fourth grade, much like every fourth grader, everybody thinks they're really good, and clearly I was. <laughs> and, and in our house, yes, <laughs> and in our house we had stairs. The stairs are about six that went downstairs. And probably on the third step um, was the, let's see if I can explain it correctly, the stairs going down, 
there's a wall right here. So you have to go underneath the wall, which is the floor of the second floor, okay? So this floor, this wall, sorry, I don't know if you guys can see it. It's technical, okay, all right. <laughs> the wall right there. So there I was, and I will never forget this happening, and it was a 7-Up commercial. So it was a Cherry 7-Up to be dated. And there was a part in there where, uh, you know, there was a, I don't know, really exciting part. And I jumped up because I was going to make it from that third stair right there to the floor because that's what kids do because you don't think that you're jumping up. So I jumped, and bam, my head dented the wall, the drywall that was right there, and I hit the stairs, and I couldn't move. My sister, who was a nurse, and my mother were down in the basement and saw this, and they saw that I, I, was in, I couldn't move. And my sister and my mother immediately came to my back, and there was, there was a disc that was out of place. My, my spinal cord had hit the stair just right at the right angle of the corner that dislodged the disc. Bam. <laughs> George was in some serious pain. And they prayed right there. And they felt it, and so did I, felt that disc move right to where it should be. So I was able to use that as a connection in my fourth and fifth and whatever middle schools or fourth through eighth grades. I was able to use that as a witnessing tool, just like you had mentioned this morning about, hey, um, so they can go out and testify to that. Um, so that was, that was a benchmark, if you will, of miracles in my life. The second one came probably around the same time. I don't really know. Um, but I used to go into stores, and I would have to, I got my, my feet measured. You know, the, you got the silver things, and you got the measurement, you're nine and a half or whatever. So there I was, and I was getting my feet measured. And my right foot was always about an inch shorter than my left foot. And I would not have to get two pairs of shoes, so you can put that to bed. But it would be weird because my foot would slide a little bit in and out of my right, of my right foot. And, I, and this had gone on. It was pretty normal. I did not realize that it was not normal because that's what I did. Um, and I'll never forget that in the same family room, we had, uh, we had a, a fireplace, but it was brick on the bottom. And so there I was standing. I don't remember why I was standing on it, but I was. And my mother was in front of me and laid hands on my feet. And my faith was so that, hey, anything that, I mean, the word says God can heal, so God can heal. And I think that ties into what he says when he says, hey, come to me like little kids do. You know, as you get older, you you get smarter, and then you understand how things work. So you have a less expectancy um, if you come in there armed with all your knowledge and saying, you know what, oh, this can't happen because bones have to grow, the cells have to grow, um, and things like that. So you, you little understand how things work, and you're thinking, well, God can't do that. Well, God created the world, so he can, you know, and then our cells regenerate and everything else. So there I was, standing um, with my bare feet out, and you could absolutely see that my right foot was an inch shorter than my left. And my mother, and I don't remember if my sister was there or not, but I remember praying and, and believing with God. And there's a phrase that's called putting your faith in neutral. My faith wasn't in neutral, meaning I didn't want to take away from what was being prayed for me. It wasn't that at all. It was very much a, I believed God could do it. And there it was. I didn't see it grow, 
but I saw it even with my other foot. So that's, that is something that is going to stay with me forever, obviously. Because you don't forget things like that. And it wasn't a, oh, I was wrong, my feet actually were an inch the same or anything like that. No, I, got, I went to the measurements. You know, I sat there and I got measured each time I went and got shoes. And when you're in fourth or fifth grade, you get shoes a lot because you outgrow them a lot. So it happened a lot. And it was the same thing every time. Different store, different uh, measuring sticks. So it wasn't a, because the one thing was broke. So those are miracles. And tying back to exactly what Chris said, it goes back to, hey, Jesus uses those as a tool, as a witnessing tool as well, to sit there and go, okay, you know what? That's something that happened to you. I know you. So if that can happen to you, then you know what? That can happen to me. I believe that God can heal me. So this is for me. And it says in the, it says in the bottom here, I'm going to reread some of this. It says, the point I'm making is that God wants you to use his supernatural ability to power and power to minister to other people. He uses the miracles that take place through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to confirm to people he's actually speaking to them. The Father was speaking through my mother to me in a lesson that I would carry with me my, my entire days. Not only with the whole, hey, you can walk again because your disc isn't broke, um, but your foot grew. So because of those, I have a very solid foundation that I know that God healed. You can't tell me that he doesn't. There is nobody to convince me otherwise. Nothing. And then throughout the rest of my life, I haven't had miracles like that as big, but it, it's been easier for me because I've seen that manifestation when I was you know, so young. So I'm able to carry that with me and sit there and go, okay, well, of course you can heal my headache. Well, you grew my foot. Come on. You know? And so we'll use those as a, as a tool because we all know somebody that's been healed of something before. And Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So he will come to us and try and lie that things are there. And try and say, you know what, I'm going to put this on you. And, and there are absolutely times where we need to be propped up and we say, you know what, I need help in praying with this. Because his onslaught is not to, you know, I'm just going to bother somebody today. It's, it's to kill. It's to steal. That's to destroy. There are there are no small battles. There are no small schemes with him. It's one of those three things. It's not. I'm just going to poke at him and aggravate him because I want to. No, he's just going to kill and steal and destroy. Period. And healing is a physical manifestation of God in the natural realm, which is where Satan tries to harm us. So it's literally combating against his onslaught in an extremely prolific way. So that way there's no, wait a minute, did I just see this? Wait a minute, did this just happen? Because I didn't, you know, was it in my spirit? Was it? No, it's, it's literally right there. The coughs dry up. Eyes grow back. Things like that. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Or if you're a Donald Trump fan, it's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, telling them how he first approached them. And when I came to you, brethren, 
I did not call him a sorry king. <laughs> I tried to do that straight face. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He made it very clear that the reason he didn't come emphasizing and using words only, but came in demonstration of the Spirit and power, was so their faith would stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man. What are some of the dangers of relying on the wisdom of man? That was pretty cool because there's like five answers. Just, just so excited about that. So if we could do that again, that'd be great. <laughs> Go with the one in the hat, please, in the front row, the pretty lady. Because it fails. Excellent point. Jeff? It's flawed. It's corrupted. It takes you off the path. Exactly. It takes your eyes and puts them here. Christianity has wonderful logic to it. Once you see the truth, you wonder how you ever missed it and why everybody doesn't embrace it. But Christianity isn't only logic. It is a real experience with a real God. He is alive today, and he wants to manifest himself in power exactly the same way he did in his word. Hebrews 13.8 states, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it goes back to what we said this morning, or earlier this morning. It's unchanging. Jesus came, and he was a man approved of God among us by signs and wonders and miracles. Acts 10, 38 is an incredibly key, stri key scripture and states, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. He had his word confirmed, and those miracles rang like a bell to draw people to his message. Maybe if you can keep that scripture up a little bit longer. Thank you. It says in there, you know of Jesus of Nazareth how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. You don't have to answer externally, but internally, and say, am I someone who is anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power? You are. And how Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Have we not been given the same charge? Yes. For God was with him. We've already established 2 Corinthians 5.17. God is with us. Thank you. He had his word confirmed, and those miracles rang like a bell to draw people to his message. They glorified God. Many scriptures say that these miracles glorified God. And if Jesus had to use the power of the Holy Spirit to minister and to change people's lives, how do we think that we can do better than he did? Well, we've already covered that. We've already established the fact through his infallible word that we do. 
If Jesus drew on miracles to draw people to himself to receive his message, how can we possibly think that we convince the world today without operating the supernatural power of God? The answer is we can't. We can't fight Satan with worldly things. It's just not going to happen. Because that's not where our victory is. Our victory has already happened. The battle is the Lord's, the victory is ours. The truth is that miracles glorify God. They are a bell that draws people. It's like ringing the, dinner, ringing the dinner bell. It's the food that will fill you, but it's the bell that gets your attention. Kenneth Hagin used to say that. He used to say that healing was the dinner bell that brought people to the service. Without the bell, some people are going to miss the meal. Without the miraculous power of God, many people are going to miss out on the fact that God is real and he can change their hearts and forgive their sins. So he's established here that we absolutely can do it. And we've established that as well through the scripture. And it says without that, some people are going to miss the meal. So there are, what does that mean? That means there are some that are going to come because of that. And God's going to use healing not only to minister to that person, but minister to others. So there goes the testimony again of saying, you know what? I was healed. Let me share my experience with you. Or, at the very least, somebody getting healed. We've all seen services where people have been healed. At some point in our life, we've seen it. Whether it's been we're watching somebody on the television or um, we've been in, in person. It doesn't matter. The matter. What matters is we've seen it. And we've immediately applied that to our lives. I encourage you to realize that God wants to flow through each one of us and work these miracles through us in other people's lives. Some of you may say, but that intimidates me. What happens if I pray for a person and they aren't healed? How do I know this is going to happen? I'm going to stop right there because there are a lot of times where people have been tugged, myself included, to go pray for somebody and they haven't. Why? What is that question right there? What is that last question? What is that based on? It's based on fear. Whether it's embarrassment, hey, did I really hear you? What happens if I do that? What happens if they don't get healed? What happens if I'm praying for somebody and they don't feel any different? Well, perfect love casts out fear. Done. Okay. And we were made in his image. Okay. He is in us. Okay. So what does that mean? That means that fear is not here anywhere. Okay. So that means that I can kick it out because I've been given authority. Right? So, all right. So the authority has gone. Fear is gone. What do I do next? You hear and obey. So you go and obey. Okay. So now we've established that we're supposed to go pray for him. Because what we're hearing not to is not from us. And it's not from God. So you go and pray for him. What happens if they don't? There's no physical, okay, I'm, yeah, thanks for praying, I'm good. You know, what do we do then? You need to recognize it's not you doing the miracles. God is doing them. And I think that's an important part that Andrew Womack says right there. Because you don't take responsibility if the miracle works and the person gets set free, and you don't take the blame if it doesn't work. You're just doing the praying. God's the one who's doing the healing but he has to flow through you. So it's not us. We're just the vessel that is privileged and honored enough that God says, I want you to go pray for him so I can flow through you and I can, 
I can minister to them. Now, just like everything else is tied to seed time and harvest, so is healing. There are immediate harvests sometimes. And sometimes there are harvests that take a while. You are not that person. You don't know what God is doing and what he is uprooting in that person. So do not take anything as a negative. Um, don't take anything negative that happens. If you sit there, if I pray for Chris, that you know he feels 100% better and he still is, does not feel. Well, there are some things that maybe Chris needs to work out. That God is using this to work through so that it doesn't happen again. So it's not more of a shallow healing of it's gone. Maybe it's something in there. I'm going to say this line again. You don't take responsibility if the miracle works and the person gets set free, and you don't take the blame if it doesn't work. You just do the praying. God's the one who does the healing. But he has to flow through you. God wants to use you in miraculous ways. You need to get into God's word. See how it worked for other people. Apply those things in your life and let the miraculous, supernatural power of God start flowing through you today. So, Abby, now we're going to go through all the uh, discipleship questions. First one has no scripture. What is a miracle? Open forum. What is a miracle? Anybody? There you go. Nicely done. It's actually word for word. Manifestation of divine power. Number two. We're going to read Mark 2, 10 through 12. What did Jesus' miracle demonstrate that he had the power to do? After we put the scripture on the top. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So the question is, what did Jesus' miracle demonstrate that he had the power to do? Anybody? Exactly. Forgive sins. Excellent teamwork. Number three, read Mark 16, 15 through 18. And this time I won't ask the question before I read the verse. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And they will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. As believers, what are we to do? Nice. Gold star. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out spirits. Thank you. Number four, 
We're going to read Acts 8, 5 through 8, and then verse 12. Acts 8, 5 says, Philip went down to the city of Samara and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. What did the people see, and how did they respond? There you go. They saw miracles, and they rejoiced. Absolutely the right answers. Now we're going to read Acts 3:12 which states when Peter saw it he ant- when Peter saw this he replied to the people men of Israel why are you amazed at this or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power we had made him walk. So the question is, what did the Apostle Peter say about his own holiness producing miracles? Exactly, he couldn't. He was a vessel. And that goes back to what we just what we just learned. And it's hey, it's not us; it's God through us. Next is Acts three sixteen. And on the basis of faith in His name. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the question is, how do miracles happen? Yep, faith in Jesus' name by the power of God. Okay. We have those miles. Two more. This one I will I will answer or ask last. Read First Corinthians one and seven, please. If you have that up, Abby, that'd be super. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When will the gift of miracles cease? Never. Never. I will say at the end of that verse, it says, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, are there miracles in heaven? I guess we'll have to wait and find out. We're going to do Acts 9. This is not in their abbey, so do not worry about bringing it up on the screen. And it's Acts 9, 10 through 18. This will be the last verse. And they were disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming. Lay hands on him, so that he may regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from your chief priests, from the chief priests, to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Right there, picture the Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Christians left and right. Kill them. Bam, dead. And God found him worthy. Said, you know what? I want him healed. I want his life changed. And what did he do? Heal him. What did that do for Saul? Turn his life around like that. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Bam, done. He turned into... Who are we to say no when God says, I want you to go pray for him? How do we know that that person hasn't already been, have a revelation from the Father saying, I'm going to send somebody to pray for you today? And they're like, no, come on. How do we know that our action isn't going to open up the doors for that person's life to be changed? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's all we had today. Pastor Brian, did you have anything else?